it's a lovely day. It's warm. It is uh, dry, which is something very nice after uh, 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 about two weeks where it has been raining incessantly. The nature is green right now. I love that here in the park, right next to the church and next to the rectory, uh, there are lots of people sitting on the benches eating gelato ice cream. There is a, an ice cream store uh, on the other side of the square. And they have really good gelato, surprisingly good for the Netherlands. And, uh, and this is one of the few establishments that are open on Sunday in this town. I'm recording this on Sunday afternoon <laughs> because this used to be, and still partially is, a Protestant village. And um, they tend to be very strict about Sunday as a rest, resting day. So stores or shops are closed, whereas in other cities and towns, oftentimes on Sunday, um, stores are open and uh, restaurants and bars are open. Here everything is closed except for this gelato bar where, uh, <laughs> you know, they, they do get the pagans <laughs> to come over and, and enjoy a bit of ice cream. I, um, I skipped the ice cream because uh, I have um, ice cream in the, in the fridge, um, in the freezer compartment of my fridge. And uh, I, I want to keep that a very rare thing, you know, like once a week I may actually enjoy a small gelato. And, uh, and that's it. I keep the rest for the next time I'll be back in, um, in Rome, which hopefully won't take too much of a time. I'm walking through the graveyard here uh, to the other side to the road adjacent to this. Some people are uh, watering the flowers next to some of the tombs because it's so warm. Um, of course, uh, the plants here um, sometimes dry up, especially if they're placed in, in pots. And so uh, it's nice to see that people are taking care of these graves it's been such a strange, strange week. It's one of these weeks, I don't know if you have that as well, where you look back on the, the, the entire week and you wonder where time went and what you actually did that was worth remembering. And especially yesterday, I was, I was really um, confused that it seemed as if this, this entire week brought nothing. And so I, um, I thought that, or I thought back of what I've, I'd done, and actually, it, it, I did a number of things, and, uh, and they were all important. There was just nothing that resulted in, like, a, uh, a tangible accomplishment. It was all kind of maintenance stuff. Um, but... If I go back to about seven days ago on Sunday, um, I actually did something that uh, I normally never do. I went for a very long bike ride. After Mass, I, I continued to so Mass. I had Mass in... Um, where, where was I? I don't recall. Was I in Wageningen? Uh... I don't remember where I was last week. But anyway, I continued a bike ride all the way to Amersfoort, so the place where I used to live. Um, 
And I stopped by Inge, who lives in, in uh, Wageningen. Inge is our community manager, in case you, you are a new listener. And so we had a cup of coffee and talked about the cat and about uh, some small talk. And then I continued to Ikea, which was open, or is always open on Sunday, because I, I needed a very particular tiny screw for my garden table. That was the only reason that I wanted to go to Ikea. And in fact, it was just to, in order to have a goal, a reason to, to go by bike uh, to Amersfoort. And the, it was a lovely day for biking. Much The weather forecast was uh, much more uh, negative or uh, gloomy compared to what it actually was. It was a very nice sunny day, a bit like today. Um, so I went to Ikea and unfortunately uh, they don't give you these, these uh, missing screws anymore. So my, t- my, kitchen t- no, my garden table is falling apart without that particular screw. And I think it... Uh, it, it just fell by the wayside when, when I stored the table for the winter. Couldn't find it anymore. But now you have to go to the website and order it, and then they will send it to you for free in an envelope. So that was basically what I discovered. Um, that was about 40 kilometers by bike for naught. And then I still had to go back 40 kilometers back home. And that's where, that's where everything went haywire after exiting um, the Ikea I got a text message on my phone from Inge and she said I hope you're almost home because there's a huge thunderstorm that is about to break loose and I spun around and then indeed I saw these these, like pitch dark clouds um, approaching from the west and it was clear that this was not going to uh, to dissolve uh, or pass by. No, this was going to be a full-fledged thunderstorm with rain and uh, lightning and everything. So, what was I to do? Um, I stepped on my bike and I raced. I tried to go as fast as possible to stay ahead of the thunderstorm. Um, so I went... <laughs> way faster than on the way to Amersfoort and after about 15 kilometers 20 kilometers I was really getting tired my legs were were killing me and of course I'm not used to biking these long distances and on a bike you use very different muscles uh, from the ones that you use for running so I'd rather run for 20 kilometers than bike for 20 kilometers, especially at full speed. And so I started to get, uh, or the, the, the thunderstorm was, was catching up with me and I felt the, the water started to drip. And, uh, but I was still only at the halfway point. And that's when I discovered that there was another um, storm front developing ahead of me. I was looking on the radar on my phone and it showed that not only was I being pursued by this thunderstorm coming from Amersfoort, but there was another new system that was developing straight ahead. (laughs) And that's what I encountered 
about 15 minutes later when it started to rain and it rained and it rained and it started to pour and at one point the rain was so incredibly dense that it started to leak into I had a, a raincoat with me thankfully but it started to pour into the seams of the of the raincoat and after a while I was completely drenched drenched to the bone but that wasn't the worst the, it was the, what was much worse was that uh, it started to um, the, the thunder started to uh, to strike or what is it lightning started to strike all around me so I could see these flashes of of lightning um, behind me and, and ahead of me and on my left and on my right so I was in the middle of that thunderstorm and you have to know that that entire itinerary was out in the open well of course you're surrounded by farms and cows and horses and uh some some uh, trees but still even even if you're even if these trees are taller than me if a if lightning strikes a tree you can still get hit by the electricity that flows through the ground uh, or, or getting hit by a tree that then is struck down by lightning. There, there were all sorts of scenarios going through my mind. And, and uh, I, I only knew I have to get shelter. So I, I, I just continued to, to bike very fast. And thankfully I came upon a, a small village. I had to make a detour in order to go through that village. And uh, there was a an hotel restaurant on the border of the village and that's where I I stopped and took some shelter well the shelter didn't really help because I was already completely drenched um, the, the, the roads were even covered in water the water couldn't get uh, uh, couldn't sink into the ground fast enough so every time there was a, a car passing me by I would get this whole you know tsunami of water um, that uh, drenched me even more so anyway I'm standing there <laughs> And then this guy comes out. Can I help you, sir? Would you like to eat something? I said, no, I don't think I can because I'm like, you don't want me in your restaurant. I am completely soaked. Oh, he said, hmm, hmm, hmm. Yeah, it's, it's probably going to be, uh, you're going to be stuck here for a while. Maybe you want to book a hotel room here? <laughs> and uh, I could tell on the radar that the, the whole thunderstorm that was covering the area south of where I was, was not budging. And so after about 20, standing there for 20 minutes in the cold, and my phone started to, my, the battery of my phone was dying, um, and, so, and my watch, <laughs> the battery of my watch had already gone, uh, um, had, had shut down the, the, the watch. Uh, after about 20 minutes, the rain started to uh, subside a little bit. And so I continued by bike. There was also less thunderstorm or less no less lightning and so i came across first i i I, missed, I took the wrong direction because my phone had died and so i couldn't see where i why i was anymore on the gps and then so i had to backtrack came through the village again and i saw a chinese restaurant that was open it was another protestant town where everything was closed except for the chinese restaurant so i stepped inside it was a small kind of very conventional uh, Chinese restaurant. And, um, and I asked if I could eat there. I figured, well, maybe I can kill a, a, an, another hour just by having dinner. And by then, hopefully, um, it will be safe again to 
to go uh, to go home, uh, which I did, and uh, <laughs> it was a bit embarrassing because I was literally dripping water. And thankfully, they didn't have carpet; they had a hard floor, which made it also not very cozy there. But in this situation, I was very glad that I wasn't ruining their carpet with all the water that was dripping from my clothes. So I had uh, a simple uh, dinner. It wasn't very good, honestly. Maybe it's because I'm, I love to cook myself and a lot of my cooking is Asian. But if it, I used to like this stuff at Chinese, Dutch Chinese restaurants. It's, it's not really Chinese food that you get. Um, just like in other countries, it's kind of more adapted to the local taste. So in, in the Netherlands, a lot of the Chinese restaurants serve food that is more um, Indonesian. Um, instead of Chinese. But anyway, I used to like that. Now that I know how to cook myself, it, it was a bit of a chore to get through the, the, the menu. <laughs> it's like, man, oh, how, why do we still eat this? <laughs> um, but I was grateful for the shelter. And, uh, and after an hour, it was indeed uh, getting better. It was getting a bit more lighter, the rain, it was still some rain, but it was light rain. And so I continued another, what is it, 45 minutes, an hour, and I was finally back home. Uh, before, before sunset, before it got really dark. And to be honest, I love my house. I love having a home. I know that some people don't, and uh, I'm always very grateful for the fact that I have a place to live but after a day like that where you've been almost on the run for for the bad weather um, to be able to you know take a hot shower put on my pajamas sit on the on the couch I don't have a couch I'm sitting in a in a nice comfy chair and watching some tv oh it's bliss it's pure bliss and you realize how how much you love being inside when the weather is so, so bad. So maybe this is also one of the reasons that um, for the next couple of days, uh, I, was a, I was a bit, I wasn't really tired, uh, but physically I was tired. My legs were recovering from the bike ride. And um, this was also the week that I wanted to test my, my running shoes. I don't know. I think I shared that with you that last week I bought a new pair of running shoes because the, the ones that I had were, um, I think, three or four, no, probably four years old. I've run about three marathons with them, including all the training. And, and if you look at the soles, the entire profile is gone. They're very, very, uh, um, well, they're completely used up. They are still comfy, comfy. Um, but I knew that uh, it was time to get a new pair. So I, I went to a specialty shop. They did a, they, they film you while you run inside, and then they can see what kind of stride you have. And it turns out that I still have um, the same kind of they call it pronation, which was also um, what they told me when I bought this the the old pair of shoes uh, a couple of years ago, which means that if I run slowly my ankles kind of course correct and you see like, I've got a bit of a wobbly walk it's not really a problem when I'm running really fast but it's when I'm running when I'm jogging like a really easy pace that's basically where my my ankles go 
uh, like they turn while I'm while I'm running, and uh, as you can imagine, then all the other muscles in your legs have to co- have to correct for that, and so all that uh, makes you very prone to injuries, which is why I had a pair of shoes that was extra stable, so they give you a little bit more guidance when you walk. Um, that is um, very much advised for runners like me that, that run a lot, uh, because otherwise you, you get uh, you know, Achilles heel injuries and all, all sorts of trouble, and maybe even knee problems. So I've always been safe. They wanted to give me another pair, uh, tried a few different types, and then uh, I ended up with a, a, a pair of Asics shoes, uh, very expensive, about 200 bucks. But, you know, <laughs> running is a very cheap sport. It's just the shoes that are very expensive. So I figured this is still cheaper than a bike. <laughs> um, so let me just get these shoes. They feel comfortable. And then I started to tra- train with them only to discover that there was something that just didn't work. So I went running for a couple of days and every time after about three or four kilometers, I would get so much pain in the forefront, the front of my foot, the ball of my foot. It was as if I was walking barefoot on concrete. And it, it was as if every step, it was just like, the the ground was hammering my feet and I it got to a point where after about three four kilometers I couldn't walk anymore I had to stop it was embarrassing during one of my uh, training sessions um, I had to take off take off my shoes and walk through the grass that's how much my feet hurt and so the grass helped to cool down my feet and I was like, oh, is it my socks? What is going on? These shoes were such a perfect fit. And, you know, I've got experts who actually advised me on these shoes. They, they, that has to be me. And so I tried a few more runs thinking that maybe I had to break them in or maybe I, my feet would get used to them. But no, it only got worse. And so I had that anxiety, like, my goodness, I so much money. And now I've been running on these shoes. Maybe I cannot bring them back anymore. Maybe they'll tell me that I, you know, too bad. You've been running on these shoes. We cannot sell them anymore, so we won't take them back. That's 200 euros down the drain. That is so much money. And I, I, I won't be able to use these shoes in any capacity because I can't walk on these. And so for an entire week, I've been stressing out about that. And that's, that's, that's kind of the old me. I get worked up about these things. I start to uh, think of all, all sorts of doom scenarios. So, so oh man, I will, I'll, I'll still have no shoes. And what are they going to say in the store? And they're going to send me home. It's going to be terrible. So I did two things. I, uh, I bought another pair online. And like a, when I was in the store, I, I tried out another brand. And I like those shoes. They felt a little bit smallish, but uh, but still okay. So I figured uh, I found a, a, that pair online for. They were uh, uh, heavily discounted. It was on a sale in Germany, so I ordered those shoes. They arrived two days later. I tried them on, and they're too small. They're clearly too small. I needed to have at least one size bigger. So now I have two pairs of shoes. <laughs> 
and the, both these pairs are completely unusable and I have to bring them back and send them back and send the other pair back to Germany oh my goodness and if for some reason I, that gets just like every day I'm thinking about what am I going to do with these shoes and so the only thing of course I I could do was to go back to the store but I figured I need to erase the traces of me having used these shoes because officially you know you can fit them and then uh, if you, you have to bring them back within eight days so I I, I cleaned the shoes. I made sure they were so clean that they were actually even cleaner than, than they looked when I bought them. They had been used in the store uh, by some clients and so they already had their soles and soles were already a bit used. So I didn't feel too guilty about that. But then I made sure that they were just, they looked brand new. I discovered the power of green soap, by the way. Oh my gosh, just a little bit of green soap in uh, some, some lukewarm water. And then I used a toothbrush to clean them. It took me about an hour. But I was constantly thinking like, man, these shoes are 200 bucks. So there's 200 bucks here at stake. <laughs> and ultimately, I brought them back to the store. It was not a problem. They were very kind. They were, yeah, we were philosophizing or kind of thinking about what could have caused this pain. And uh, they suggested, well, maybe you should have used the soles, the inner soles of your old shoes and put them in these. Well, maybe the new ones are too too new and it causes friction. And I was like, no, 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 I tried that. None of that worked. And so and we ended up with the hypothesis, that is, or it's my hypothesis, that I actually, when I run, I don't land on my heels, but I land on the front of my foot. So I'm, I'm almost like tiptoeing when I'm running. Which actually is not a bad technique because it makes the, the, the point of contact as, as brief as possible and as small as possible. The downside with these particular shoes was that there is a fortifying... Like as I, as I mentioned, these soles are, are made specifically to give you extra guidance when you're running. And so the guy explained there is some foam the difference with your previous shoes is that in these shoes there is some more kind of firm foam and it's meant to dampen your stride um in your case since you're walking on the front of your your feet um it's too firm and so that's probably what you're feeling and so instead he downgraded me to a pair of the same brand um that doesn't have that <clears throat> that cushioning or that that foam and he said you'll actually make uh, more direct contact with the ground. Um, try these out. So I, I did. And again, uh, they felt okay, but so did the other pair when I was in the store. But he then told me, and this was different from the other uh, person, uh, he said, you know what? You just try them out. When it's dry, you go run for a couple of kilometers. And if the pain returns you bring them back and we'll we'll uh, we'll take it from there we'll, we'll find something else but my theory is that these shoes will actually work better so i came back and i was so relieved like oh my goodness thankfully <laughs> i didn't i didn't throw 200 bucks in the toilet i actually now have shoes that are probably have a better chance of fitting me and then the other the german shoes that i bought online I'm going to send it back uh, tomorrow and um, I'll get my money back because I had 14 days for those. 
Um, and I'll, I'll order actually a, a, the same pair, but one size bigger, which I actually tried in the store. And, uh, and I, <laughs> I realized, yes, these do fit. The other, the pair that I, that I tried out the week before, uh, that pair, even in the store, I already uh, could, have, could have known that they were too small. Anyway, why am I sharing this with you? This is just to, to give you an example of how a tiny, completely inconsequential, super dumb thing can just paralyze my thoughts. And I keep like thinking, oh man, oh man, oh man. And I was wondering, why, why am I so um, upset by this? Why, why do I keep overthinking this whole problem? Because I've learned... And this is really a, a, the fruit of, of, of the last year and a half, I would say, in the way I, I kind of uh, approach my, my stress. If something is bugging me, then there are two things. First of all, why, why do I focus? Why do I fixate on this? And it's usually when I don't have enough energy to rethink the situation because I, I i know that some of you are listening to this and are like really You're, is this the only thing that you've been thinking of last week now of course there's other stuff as well but this is what happens when when i'm tired so i was physically tired after that big bike ride but i was also tired because i did not sleep enough i've had a couple of nights where i only slept about six hours and i can tell that if if that happens if it, sometimes you just have a bad bad night oh wow there's some fallen trees here blocking the road i'll just climb over them this is a big one i don't know why they keep this one here it's not decomposing oh my there are three other trees here these are recent victims i think maybe they have fallen because of that thunderstorm a couple of days ago is usually when some of these trees, they grow in between bigger trees. So they put all their energy into getting as high as possible because their leaves need sunlight. And this goes to the expense of the roots. It's almost a metaphor of life, you know. There's too much competition. You focus on getting better and uh, faster and higher and taller. But you forget that what you actually need are the roots because otherwise, whenever there's a crisis, you will, you'll be floored like these trees there. Anyway. Little aside, <laughs> this is how my brain works. It's like, oh, that could be an entire homily. <laughs> um, so I, I, I slept uh, several days, only six hours. And that's where I start to notice that I tend to, I get a bit myopic. Like the little things start to irritate me and I, I don't have that, that rest energy to rethink. The other, the other thing that I learned to do so first of all, I made sure that I slept more. Um, and, and it's already working. I, today I feel a lot better because I slept about seven and a half hours instead of six. Makes quite a difference. And uh, the other thing is, instead of getting upset, and then getting upset because I get upset, because th th that used to be my, my whole mechanism. You know, I get, get stressed and then I'm, I'm angry at myself. Well, why are you stressed? You know, this is, this is not worth the stress. What are we talking about? It's just a pair of shoes. It's not the end of the world. But, of course, none of that reasoning works. So instead, 
I get curious. And I ask myself, so, huh, I, why am I so obsessed with these shoes? What is it? Why, why am I so focused? And is there a different way to approach this? And why am I thinking in worst case scenarios where I'm basically afraid of flushing 200 bucks through the toilet? Why, why don't you think about what, another possible outcome, which would be, you know, in, in fact, what happened? I was like, oh, sir, not a problem. We'll, we'll, we're going to solve this. Um, we're going to get you another pair of shoes that will work for you. Let us try this one. You know, it's really not a problem. And in fact, I, I even got 30 bucks back um, because the, the, the new shoes were a lot cheaper than the ones that I initially bought. So the catastrophizing proved to be, as it normally always is, um, just that. It's just catastrophizing. It's just overthinking situations instead of just dealing with it. But what I noticed is once I started to ask this question, so, hey, I noticed that I'm stressed. Hmm, why? Why am I... It's interesting that I see this old mechanism of, of overthinking and catastrophizing and worst-case scenario thinking. Why is that back all of a sudden? Is there, are there other areas where um, you feel unhappy or, you know, is, is this, what can we do to solve this? The moment I started to become curious instead of judgmental, that's when a lot of the stress started to dissipate. Isn't that funny? I heard this once in a, I think in a TikTok video where someone said, um, curiosity uh, is, is the most effective stress killer there is. As long as you are in your stress and in your frustration and in your emotion, uh, you're, you're not in control. You let emotions control you. Curiosity is the process of stepping back and observing, without judging, just observing what's going on and asking questions and, and prying a little bit, prodding. Like, hmm, let's see if we can figure this out. This is basically looking at your life as a Vulcan would do. You know, hmm, curious, Captain. Or, hmm, that is a bit illogical. Um, should we, shouldn't we examine this? <laughs> and instead of being like most of the other crew members on the Enterprise, where it's like, oh, stress! <laughs> red alert! Red alert! And Spock is always calm. He's like, hmm. Most peculiar, or interesting, fascinating. So, <laughs> that's, a, that's a nice coping skill in the, in, in the future. So whenever I, uh, my brain goes on red alert about, well, about whatever, it can also be about serious stuff. But it's never helpful to, to become one with your emotions. Instead, I should just channel Spock. I, just should, I should channel my inner Vulcan that is like raising an eyebrow. Hmm, fascinating. Why are we at red alert? And what can we do to go back to yellow alert? Or even better, you know, no alert. Uh, so again, curiosity kills stress in a very effective way. Um, this was also particularly helpful uh, on another level. So on Wednesday, I went to see uh, my sister and her husband and the family. It was great because of COVID. We 
haven't really seen each other that much and the kids are growing up very fast so it was wonderful to see them again and talk a little bit and Ezra the youngest child who is on the spectrum uh, uh, in, ter in terms, terms of autism he had been looking forward to my visit <laughs> it was like oh it's Uncle Roderick day and um, he came back from school and he just sat on the couch he usually doesn't really interact that much or talk that much he's on his phone but I know that he's listening and he just wants to be there he's very curious and um, so that was nice and the other kids are, are, are older now the oldest is uh, uh, starting his exams and he's going to uh, he's got plans to uh, study what is it business sciences or I'm not sure what the term is in English so he's very entrepreneurial um, and then um, both uh, both all, all these three kids are very, very smart, very creative. Um, but the reason that I went to see my sister and um, and her husband was that, uh, or my brother-in-law, I should say, um, we, we just wanted to go through some things. Like my parents, of course, are are both um, at an advanced age. Uh, the relationship right now with our parents is is difficult. Um, for a number of reasons um, and so we've heard that my father now is, uh, is is pretty sick or pretty ill he's got lung cancer uh, which in itself is not that surprising because he's always been a heavy smoker and um, didn't really live a very healthy life but and he's of course at an advanced age he is as you know in a care facility because of dementia but there will be a moment where we will have to um, say goodbye. And, uh, you know, he's probably not going to get better. Um, they are doing what they can, of course, to, uh, to make him comfortable. But um, it's in the foreseeable future, there will be a moment where, uh, where he will die. And since uh, the relationship with our, both our parents is very complicated right now, um, both my sister and I were, you know, we, we felt that we needed to think ahead and prepare ourselves mentally, but also think about some scenarios. You know, how are we, how is this going to impact us? What can we do to help? Um, how are we going to navigate this complicated situation? And, uh, and emotionally also, just think about, of course, it's very difficult to, if not impossible, to predict how the death of a, a parent or a loved one will impact you. Uh, you can, you can um, uh, well, what's the word? You can project, you can try to guess how you will feel and what you will do. But of course, everyone's reaction is going to be different, different, different. And what is very important, one of the things that I've learned in my life, uh, accompanying other people that deal with um, with difficult situations in their life is um, it's important to to respect each and everyone's journey because I'm not you and you are not your neighbor and <laughs> so the, the way people cope with these things and go through mourning and uh, how much time and what they need to recover it's different for every one of us and so again the I think the trick is to not stress in advance, not certainly not uh, think in, in terms of worst-case scenarios. But first of all, affirm that however you're going to feel, that's okay. 
because you are you and you have your history and you have your coping mechanisms and and so it's it's okay to to feel what you feel um it's also important to be prepared to respect other people in their way of coping so um the family will have a different view on on the situation that they don't they ha- they they are in a different relationship with my father and with my mother um so again it's not about uh claiming that your view of the situation is the only right one um it's about respecting how other people re- will react to this and um and then uh, and and then the the main attitude is again that's the vulcan attitude um not that you 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 don't have emotions um and i know that especially the death of a parent can uh, can have can can um suscitate very strong emotions and it's not always just about losing a parent it can also be a loss of a relationship that you never had it's 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 saying farewell to maybe the idea that uh, all will be well in the end R- human relationships are very complicated and and oftentimes very messy and so the the kind of fairy tale ending uh where uh, you know there's everything is for, forgiven and forgotten you know that doesn't always ha- uh, work out that way but the um, so there is there can there can be emotion uh linked to that as well there's like the personal processing of, um and and uh i'm i don't know of course of, about your own of your relationship with your parents or but i or, or with your kids for that matter but i can imagine that we've all had at times in our lives these these hurdles in re- these relationships where it doesn't work out well or there is a rift or if there or there is something that happened um that can derail that relationship and you won't be able to fix it because in order to mend relationships um everything has to be optimal but <laughs> all parties involved have to have that same will to come together and and sometimes it just is not the moment yet that's another thing you cannot rush other people's processes and this is this is a mistake that i think especially in my type of work as a pastor we sometimes make it's usually because of the lack of personal experience in this area um and that is that we don't respect that sometimes it's just not the moment yet for healing or for reconciliation sometimes it just takes time and that's okay because these are processes that you cannot rush if you try to rush them you will only make things worse and you cannot dis- determine for someone else when he or she should be ready for the next step i can't even determine that for myself um at at times in my life i had to go through some experiences and it took me sometimes years to mature to process things to heal and at one point you feel like wow i think i'm ready for the next step but <laughs> if i every time i felt like hmm why am i still like this why am i not 
learning from my mistakes, etc., etc. Um, you're, you're again getting upset about something you cannot control. That's probably the reason that we get upset. But the best way to approach these situations is to just be the Vulcan. Step back and say, hmm, fascinating. I notice that I'm still going through these big, these big emotions. I, 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 I determined that I'm not yet at the point where I can step over this. And that's interesting. What can we do uh, to, to improve this? What would be the cause of that? And can we work a little bit more on ourselves in order to get there? But it's always, you know, it's like, to use a, a running metaphor, my apologies, because <laughs> I do that all the time. Um, it's like a trainer that, that forces you, like a beginning runner that would just run 5K. Um, yeah, I, I, you need to run a marathon uh, next week. Just do it. <laughs> this is how you do it. You just run. It doesn't work like that. It's, it, it takes time to prepare for this, this big race. And so that's true in life as well. Big changes take time, take training, and it won't always work out. And sometimes maybe there will be things that you won't be able to accomplish in this life. This is why there's always faith that in the end, God will be able to help us where, where we cannot help one another. God is, how does Paul formulate it? St. Paul, he says that God is, I think it's Paul, God is greater than your heart. So if your heart condemns you, God is, always remember, God is, he has a much bigger heart. So he doesn't condemn you. Jesus approaches the people that are hurt, that are suffering, that are in pain with compassion. And he, he asks them, what can I do for you? He, he listens to them, like the disciples on their way to Emmaus. You know, what's going on? Why, why are you so sad? Tell me. Um, and this is also the way in which God approaches our traumas and our, sometimes our failures. For, for God, that is never the end of the road. Um, for us, sometimes, we won't be able to get to the happy ending that we always kind of project as the ultimate uh, goal in our lives. That, uh, that we, will be, we will attain perfect balance. We will we'll, we'll have no more worries. And yeah, we'll be perfectly happy. In this life, on, a many, on many different levels, that, it, that will never be something you can attain. Uh, but we believe that God will be able to take care of us and, and help us to fully heal. Um, but maybe not in this life. Maybe only in, in eternity. Um, and so this, is, this brings me to this, this whole concept of, of purgatory, which is always, for, for people, a bit difficult. So what is this purgatory? Is that like a, like a waiting room for, for heaven? Is it, is it, or is it like a light version of hell? <laughs> Oh, I have to go down this hill here, here, without slipping. All right. Um, it, it, it's it's neither. Uh, purgatory is a state of those that 
still have scar tissue from what whatever went wrong or whatever they did wrong in their life here on earth and it's it's like a doctor or a uh, um what's the word someone who operates um anyway you know the word i i just cannot um think of it but even if you are operated upon and they remove a tumor or something like that you'll still have the scar tissue so the doctor can cure you but you will still have that painful spot that is maybe more vulnerable it's like if you ever break a leg or break an arm or something like that the 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 fracture may heal but it will still it may be still a, a weak spot and this is how i look at purgatory um it's it's we all incur scars in our lives and even though we try we do what we can to make things right but sometimes you know we we're left with this open wound and we're we're, we're there are things that that trigger us and maybe we'll never overcome that what we can do is to accept that that is what we are that we are imperfect beings um and that we that, that's part of our cross that we carry the fact that we are not perfect the fact that we are emotional the fact that we that sometimes relationships even very strong relationships can can derail and uh, and something can happen and you don't know how to fix it or maybe you you know how to fix it but the other party doesn't know it or vice versa so we're we're that we're broken in in some areas but then i see purgatory as the what god takes all these pieces and he takes like this golden uh liquid and he puts the pieces back together because <laughs> god can make broken things whole and broken people he makes them whole and in the scars will no longer look like scars but they will be like that old what is it oriental art of uh, you still see them but they're now filled with gold it's like kylo ren's helmet you know where <laughs> the pieces are brought back together and you can still see the fissures but now they're colored um they took that idea from, from that um art of making things whole and making even the scars a part of the history and the beauty in a certain way of of that it's it's like the, the scars are transformed so but anyway that's how that's kind of the metaphor that i used to to get a grasp of what purgatory is and god uh when he sees that we struggle so much um he is i think ready to help us with his um with his guidance his his wisdom um and uh, just th- today uh, this sunday is sixth sunday of easter um in the gospel jesus talks about the holy spirit as being the helper the one who will remind you of what jesus told and how you can impl- implement that and the the holy spirit is the one who connects um and so i always imagine um as an image of course the holy spirit is invisible <laughs> like like god the father is invisible but the readings of this sunday say he's still in you and you can see his effects so 
I imagine that as like I'm broken uh, and I have many broken pieces and I, I didn't put them together. Uh, and maybe it's not, it's, it's a work in progress. But every time I ask God to help uh, heal me, the Holy Spirit will be that golden glue or that golden metal that, that unites these broken pieces. Um, the Holy Spirit is, is, is the glue that can mend what was broken. But it takes time. And so um, the purgatory is, for me, it's a place where the Holy Spirit is at work to heal our scar tissue and to transform that scar tissue and to, to make whole what we are unable to heal ourselves. And that's very different from, from, from hell, where hell is this, is this situation that, we've, that we are able to choose ourselves. It's, I'm not saying that we do, but there is this possibility to say no to God's love. And so what remains is just the pieces, it's just broke, pure brokenness. And we won't allow the Holy Spirit to touch those pieces. We, we, we refuse that that healing, we refuse that love. And of course, that's, that's a situation you never want to be in. But in, what I love about the, the concept of purgatory in Catholic theology is, is this acknowledgement that we can die even in a state of brokenness. But that's for God, that's never a problem if we are open for the mending, the healing power of the Holy Spirit. And that is, I think, what, what purgatory tries to express. It's this, this incredible grace that God gives us, um, that he will not forsake us in death because he will continue to make us whole. And he will only stop when we are perfectly whole. And that's when heaven starts. So it's, it's God who does not abandon us. We can only abandon God ourselves. God is, that's the only, the only part where God is powerless. It's, it's our free will. But if we want to be healed, but we somehow aren't, and, and we arrive uh, at this, the life after this life in a, in a broken state, but with this desire to be mended, to be healed, I think that, that is what purgatory is. God taking these pieces and and saying, "Let me, let me make you whole again." Um, and that's of course not a process that is reserved for for life after death. Um, it's something that God is able to do right now already. But with us, it takes time. It takes time to find the pieces. It takes. I mean, sometimes we are. <laughs> We, when we get upset, when we get stressed out, and we, 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 we interfere with that process. Because we're, we're trying to gather the pieces ourselves, and then we, we throw them uh, on the ground again. Because why am I not whole? Why am, why am I still broken? And then the Holy Spirit has to go and look for all these pieces. And patiently start to start process again. So the best thing you can do is to get out of the way, to step back and to look at yourself the way God looks at you and looks at me 
where God you know, raises an eyebrow, I'm, this whole metaphorical language, of course, and, and says, fascinating, fascinating. It always surprises me how people can, can uh, be you know, so imprisoned by their emotions. And, but if you, if you let me, I can help. But you have to make some room for me. Uh, so that is, I think, um, how uh, th- this whole first part of what I was sharing with you, like being uh, busy with all th- sorts of unfinished business in a certain way. What we're trying to do is to step back and observe without judging and, and help trying to help each other because the Holy Spirit also works through you and me. Um, to see if we can, um, if we can improve the situation, we cannot always fix it, but we can definitely um, improve it a little bit. And sometimes it's just also uh, just getting the small stuff out of the way. The moment I went back to the store, yeah, it took me another two hours, um, but after that I could park it, you know. It's okay. I now have new shoes and I know what to do, so I don't have to stress about it anymore. And the next time I'll <laughs> I'll go back to the store a bit a bit quicker. I won't I won't waste much time just thinking, "Oh, it's my problem. It's my fault. I'm doing something wrong." No, maybe it's just the shoes. <laughs> I'm not the expert. Let them solve it. They are the experts and they advertise with that. So just trust them. Uh, what else did I do this past week? Um, well, as you notice, uh, the, the podcasts are later than usual. Um, and this is what, again, it was me trying to give myself some room. I was tired. Um, I needed a bit more sleep. So the worst thing that I could have done is stay up late and to kind of try to force myself to record a podcast instead i just waited for the moment where i would be ready and you know it's now it's it's right now i i went out for this walk and what do you know i i know what i want to share with you and uh i don't think i could have had this conversation with you yesterday or, or, or even earlier this week, just because there was other stuff in my mind and it was just too much. And sometimes you just have to acknowledge that and, and just let it go and wait for the moment where you are ready. And um, yeah, the brain in that respect, creativity works also in a mysterious way where I feel it's, it's, it, it takes time. And if you consider that the, any creative process is a fruit of the Holy Spirit who is the creator spirit, as we sing at Pentecost. Um, you, uh, you can trust that process. And if you don't feel the creativity, then maybe uh, the best thing to do is not to try to force things, but to just get out of the way, make room and wait and ask for the Holy Spirit. You know, like, like that beautiful song that we often sing at Pentecost, and we also sing it uh, with ordinations and come Holy Spirit. Veni Creator Spiritus. Men 
Testuorum Visita. Come Holy Spirit and visit the minds, the spirits uh, of, of those that are yours. So it's a, it's a, um, a prayer to be inhabited by the Holy Spirit. And I like that. I, I love that prayer. And, and sometimes that's all you, you can ask for. And then what the Holy Spirit, once the Holy Spirit lives in you, he'll start to work. He'll start, but it's, it, it is at God's pace. You don't have to worry about it. You can just trust if you're open for this healing power, for his help, he'll, he'll find a way. Um, that's all I wanted to share with you today. Thank you so much. And um, uh, I'm heading back home now. Uh, and, and, and I'll just sit down and record this week's episode of The Break, which I've also not recorded yet. And I've been uh, working hard on the show notes and trying to come up with topics. I'm making some slight changes uh, to the format. So I want to... Um, uh, what I what I know is my 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 <laughs> my charism as a podcaster is to be very direct and authentic and uh, not over prepare. So what I do is I I made a list of topics instead of completely freewheeling freewheeling or winging it. Um, I I'm going to react to you know news and uh, questions and books and. Um, but I want to be a bit more structured in the way I do that so that after I'm done recording, I can cut it up and post these individual topics on the various social media platforms because I feel that that's, that's probably the best way to, um, to reach new people uh, for, with the podcast. I, the podcast itself is... Um, is, is hard to find, is hard to discover. But if I take out some of the best snippets and put them in, in where, where people will congregate, which is on YouTube and Facebook and uh, maybe Mastodon, and over time people will also check out the bigger, you know, the, the whole show. That's my hope. But in order to do that, um, I feel like I, I have to slightly tweak the way in which I record the show. And that's hard because I'm such a... Uh, I, so much of the break is done on routine, um, and I—it's it, just something I know how to do, but I don't know exactly how to change it. So um, that's probably one of the reasons that I—it I, took me a bit more time to come up with a, a, a slightly different approach that would be more convenient later on to cut up in pieces. And I don't even know if that works, but well, sometimes you have to just go for it, try it a few times, and then um, I'll get better at it. Anyway, you'll see the results in the week to come. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks for your support. Uh, for those of you that are helping me with their uh, micro donations on Patreon, um, it, it means a lot to me to be able to do this work. And I hope it uh, brings you some inspiration and some guidance in your life as well. All right. Have a nice rest of your day and we'll talk soon. God bless.